everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Premeditated. We're so excited that you guys have joined us. We're glad you enjoyed the last episode. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one to do something so close to home. But yeah, I am so pumped to hear what you have in store. I've heard Kate's been texting me about something she's got up her sleeve <laughs> for this week. And yeah. I'm jazzed. And it's also close to home for moi. Oh, yeah. So close to your home. Yeah. Well, you know, my home home. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> the home um, state. My home state. Super excited about this case, but there's two really good documentaries on it. Ooh. One of them's an investigation discovery series. Twist my arm. Yeah, I know. From like, I think 2019, 2018 or 2019. Okay. And then the other one is an hour long uh, documentary from 2011. They yeah. provide a lot more detail and yeah. So we just dive in. Yeah, let's dive let's in. I want. I am excited. Let's just and then it. afterwards, I'll just watch the documentary. I so. know. Oh. <laughs> so I'll start by like I do setting the scene. Yeah. So this is in the Lewis Clark Valley, which is located in Idaho and Washington. Okay. So it's right on the border between Idaho and Washington. So this is four hours northeast of Northeast Oregon. Okay. So, and two hours south of where I went to college in okay. Spokane, Washington. The Snake River runs through it. And the Snake River is actually what separates the Washington side and the Idaho side. Got it. So three towns are going to come up in this story. So there's Lewiston, Idaho, and there's Clarkston, Washington. I know. <laughs> Guess who found them? <laughs> Guess. Yes. Oh, hard to say. Lewis and Clark College. That college is in Lewiston, okay. Idaho. Lewiston has a population of 33,000. Clarkston has a population of 7,000. And Asotin, the other, the third town we're going to talk about, has a population of 900. Okay. In the Lewis-Clark Valley... There's Lewiston, Clarkson, and Asotin. Asotin? Asotin. Okay. A-S-O-I-T-N. Okay. These cities are, they're bonded by being the gateway to the Hell's Canyon National Recreation Area. Okay. Home of North America's deepest gorge. What a thing to be on the map for. Yeah. Home of America's deepest gorge. But Lewiston, Clarkson, Asotin, fairly metropolitan area, um, areas in okay. comparison with Hell's Canyon. So that's okay. the whole background. Okay. Okay. Okay, so let's dive into the murder. Yeah. All right. That's what we're here for. Okay, so Lewis Clark Valley. Okay. Um, it's not called Lewis and Clark Valley. Lewis Clark Valley. Lewiston, Idaho. Clarkston. Clarkston, Washington, and Asotin, Washington. Okay. So in April 1979, 12-year-old Christina White lived with her mom, Betty, and her stepdad, Mick, in Asotin, Washington. Okay. So Christina was excited to go to the county fair. As Who isn't? I love a county fair. We all fair. are. I did 4-H for like seven years and showed sheep. The county fair is like the number one hookup spot. The height of romance. Oh, yeah. You know, you sneak in a peek over at the steer. Yeah. I always liked the, the guys who showed steers. <laughs> oh, my God. Because that meant they were a different real... breed. Well, because the pig kids smelled funny. Yeah, sure. And everyone shunned the rabbit and goat people and the chicken people. That's, I'm sorry. That's really too bad. I'm sorry, but small animal? No. Too bad. And I mean, the dairy cow girls were snobs. Oh. So steers is where it was at. Okay. I now I'll know who to look at when I go to the to the Minnesota State Fair. Oh man. You know, like I'll be able to prejudge people. Oh my god. Like, oh, you're the dairy girls? You guys are bitches. Just don't check out the steer guys because you're probably 25 years <laughs> older than them. And, 
I don't want to get put on a list I don't, or arrested. I know. I, I don't want to bail you out. Yeah. But oh, I feel so good. Like, I wa- remember we were talking about going to high school football games? Oh, yeah. Right. In the fall, because I love high school football yeah, games. because we, like, live And we donate schools. money to them. Right. Yeah. And I want to go, but we'll be total pervs. Yeah, I, it would be, we'd be Yeah, they'd, they'd be like, hey, w- which one's your kid? And we'd be like, we just are here for the fun. Go Tigers! <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they'd be like, you need, you need to leave. You need to leave. Excuse me, ma'am. And then they, you know, and they're fancy too. So, you know, they like talk to each other. Secret exactly. service style. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, they're they're like two women. And they have a code for it. Yeah. We got to go purple over here. <laughs> yeah. Two more perverts. <laughs> With wine in our thermos. Exactly. We're just here for the game. We're just here for the game. <laughs> it brings back memories. Okay, okay, okay. So Christina was excited to go to the county fair. And it came every year towards the end of April. Which is weird to me because the yeah, county fair was in, is in August. Yes, that's our county fair was always yeah, like summer. Yeah, so that's Different a fucked times, up. That's a fucked up county fair. Yeah. Also, I can say for a fact. Your county fair sucks. Your county fair sucks. Lewiston, your county fair sucks. Yeah. <laughs> A Soton. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, even worse. For those of you, like, yeah. if anybody, nobody from there is going to be listening to this. <laughs> right. So it's April 28th. It's on a Saturday. She had her bike with her, uh, which was a 10 speed with a basket in front. She was supposed to go to the fair with her friend Rose to help with her horse and then ride her bike home. Betty, her mom, watched her daughter enter Rose's house. Okay. She just made sure that she got in there. And her and Christina's sister just went home after that. So her friend Rose lived with her mom and her mom's boyfriend. Okay. The two girls went to the fair at 2.30 or so. Christina began to not feel well. She thought it was heat stroke. So she felt sick. And so she went back to Rose's house without Rose. Okay. And so she could call her mom. Betty told her she couldn't come and pick her up right then. And so she encouraged her daughter to put a wet towel on her neck and rest. My parents would just be like, walk it off. Right. No blood, no pain. No blood, no pain. That was literally my mom saying. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm like, but what if we broke an arm? Like, What if you broke your neck? After she felt a little better, Betty advised her to call her again. So she could watch her daughter uh, the last two blocks of a seven block walk. Home. So she could like keep an eye out. Yeah. Her. So yeah, she'd be she'd able to keep see an eye her. So it got to be a little bit and Christina never called back. Okay. So initially Betty thought her daughter must have gone back to the fair after she felt better. So Betty went to the fair later. And so she's not worried. She went to the fair later that afternoon to pick her up and Christina wasn't there. No one believed she ran away. It wasn't right. something she would do. So that night, Rose's mom's boyfriend offered to help the police search. Keep in mind, he was the only one that was at the house when Christina was there. Okay. So Christina Rose got was back at the fair with her horse. So it was just yeah. Rose's stepdad that was... Her mom's boyfriend. Well, mom's boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. He told the officers he had gotten Christina a wet towel when she came home from the fair, not feeling well, but he hadn't seen her since she left the house. Okay. So, but he claims she left the house. She, he claims she left the house okay. and that she was fine. Investigators began to look into people who interacted with Christina just that day, um, like at the fair or, you know, any other place that the parade, wh- wherever. And the boyfriend was of interest. Right. He lived with Rose and her mom, but he owned another house. Okay. And the house was vacant at the time. And it was located between Rose's house and Christina's house. That's these small towns, right? Yeah. Law enforcement officers continued to look into the boyfriend because they were like, I mean, you were the last person that's there. There's only so many options when it's it's a little girl in a town of 900. It's not your first thought isn't going to go to like stranger abduction. Exactly. Exactly. Based on his work records, he wasn't at work that day. 
Okay. So I applaud the officers for looking into that like right away. digging in right yeah, away. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, he's a nice guy. Yeah, we like, trust him. So it was a little suspicious because the vacant house he owned had an unfinished basement and later concrete was poured on the floor. Ooh. So a Soton sheriff's uh, brought in cadaver dogs and ground penetrating radar in hopes of finding Christina. Like under the ground there? Yeah. Okay. There was a suspicious area in the basement noted by the radar, but after the dig, nothing was found. Okay. In the documentary called Confluence, they do interview her parents and it's heartbreaking. She was a really good artist. Like her dad had a framed picture that she had painted on the wall and it was really good for a 12 year old. And she was a tomboy and like, she was just a kid. She was a 12 year old kid. She was 12 years old. One second she's there and the next second she's gone. Yeah. They never find Christina. Oh my God. Did they find her? Did they find anything? They found nothing. Oh my God. That is terrible. They found literally no trace, no trace of her. Like she's just gone. That's the worst. And as far as I can tell, Christina's case is open again. And they're looking into it, but I don't know how long the investigation continued. I would imagine that it haunted law enforcement as well. And the town. Yeah. 900 people. Everyone knew her. Like in a town of 900, everybody knew that girl. Yeah. So we're going to fast forward to 1981. Okay. 22-year-old University of Idaho senior Kristen David disappears. She called her mom... Sally, on June 25th, 1981, she said she was going to ride her bike from Moscow to Lewiston the next day. So when I looked it up, when I watched that documentary, but it looked like a pretty intense ride. Her plan was to leave around 10 or 11 in the morning. And Kristen assured Sally she'd be home in time for work. So she's planning on like riding there and back. That's like a three hour bike ride. Yeah. See, that seems insane to me. It's 30 miles each way. It's not just something you would casually do. I mean, yeah, but she didn't have on like biking gear or anything. I think she just like had a pair of jeans and like weird. I mean, so that was on the 25th of June at 6 p.m. on June 26th. Kristen's work called her sister and said she hadn't shown up. Okay. Um, So that's the next day. Uh, the family immediately went to the police. Uh, Kristen, that was like totally out of character for her. Right. She, she would never just not show. But law enforcement wasn't worried. It's 1981. She's a college student. Right. She didn't show up to work. We're not going to get worried about this. Absolutely. Even though she had a 30-mile bike ride, Kristen's family knew better. They started their search that evening. Uh, they kind of deployed their own yeah, uh, I think that's party. what you have to do. That's pretty, I think it is. Yeah, because you can't just, I mean, I wouldn't be able to just sit there. No. So they walked the roads Kristen could have taken on the 30 plus mile bike ride. <laughs> Jeez Louises. Yeah. The family searched in ditches and empty buildings. There was just no sign of Kristen or her bike. So another girl and her bike are gone. On June 25th, the day she was taking the ride, a farmer named James Archibald (laughs) was on U.S. Highway 95. And that would have been the highway that she took. Okay. And he saw a brown van with Oregon plates. Okay. Back then, Oregon plates were blue with yellow lettering, or they were yellow and had blue lettering. Okay. So they were just very basic. If you were an adult during that era, that was the year I was born, so I'd have no idea. <laughs> so forgive me. Forgive baby Kate for not knowing. I don't ever forgive baby Kate. Fuck her. <laughs> Fuck baby Kate. Fuck baby Kate. She doesn't know what color the license plates are. I know. I couldn't even see color at that point. Farmer saw the van parked on the side of the road. 
And a man got out of the van and walked to the back of the vehicle on the ground behind the van was a woman with blonde hair. She had a bike with her and the back wheel was still spinning. So uh, yikes. And the farmer was just like, interesting. That's what gets me. Bye. Uh, like he, all of that is, that's not just like, that's all suspicious. It's not just like, Oh, maybe she needed help. And they were helping her. Like she was on the ground. She was on the ground. And so Archibald said it looked like the guy drove up right beside her and drove into the side of her and pancaked her and kicked her, (laughs) knocked her over there. And she just absolutely was not moving when I went by. He said the man was smiling as he was walking. And he was just like, huh, I'll make a mental note of that. So he called the paramedics when he got home. Okay. So after he saw it, he did call the paramedics. Yeah. Okay. He should have. I feel like he should have pulled over. Yeah. Or done. I don't know. And said, is everything okay here? Like, I don't. When the paramedics arrived on the scene, there was no van, no man, no bike, and no woman. Law enforcement tried to track down the van. The farmer did give a description of the man for a sketch. He was uh, 25 to 35 years old, under six feet, around 160 pounds. Even with the sketch and the van details, the lead led nowhere. Because, I mean. It's not a lot. It's a brown van. Yeah. He's about six feet and 160 pounds. Like, that's everyone. Yeah. That's basically everyone. So on July 4th, the search for Kristen ended. So a man was fishing on the Snake River when he saw a trash bag floating in the water. He fished it out and opened it up. And inside was a headless human torso and leg, both wrapped in newspaper. A headless torso and one leg? One leg. Still attached to the torso, maybe? I don't know. Oh, my God. Butchered. So he looked for more bags after that. Um, 75 yards downstream, the same man found another bag with other remains. How brave. Like, if I found a bag with body parts, I'd barf. And then I'd call 911. Right. And be like, you guys need to come out here. I don't want to find any other shit. Especially if you find a headless torso. He's like, I'm going to find a severed head. Yeah, that's not what I want. He's probably thinking by the time he can get to a phone. Yeah, that's true. Again, things were different. It might be lost. Um, And he he was also probably also aware of the missing girl. Right. Um, Oh, God, that just makes me sick. Yeah. He found another bag with other remains. Three more bags were located. Each contained body parts, a dismembered head, arms, and part of the leg. All were wrapped tightly in newspaper. The bags were found in a six-mile section of the Snake River. They, and they had no leads. They didn't have any. So they found this severed, like this completely cut up body. And it was Kristen. And they, that's all they had was didn't find her bike. So it was, it was, it was her. Um, no leads besides the farmer and what he said. And they were like, that could be anybody. Right. So, and keep in Shoot. mind too, like this is limited resources. Right. And, um, and all the law enforcement that was interviewed in the documentary they seem like really passionate people and, and they, they felt like they were doing everything that yeah, they could do. Yeah. Just, I mean, in the matter of what, two years, they had two really bizarre things happen. Right. So, but Kristen was, you know, Lewiston, yeah. Idaho and Christina was a Soton, Washington and they so might had, not have necessarily known about each other. Okay. Like, so they did they at this point, they didn't yeah. say that they knew about each other. No, okay. no, they, I, I think they, they just thought, Oh, this is just a weird plus the, I mean, if you think about it, like in the, the victimology is completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And so I did find it interesting that, um, her name was Kristen and then the 12 year old was Christina. Christina. Yeah. And now we have a Christina again. 
Really? Yeah. So 21-year-old Christina Nelson and her stepsister, 18-year-old Brandy Miller, were both attending uh, Lewis Clark State College. Right. So, but. so sorry, we have we were in we were in a Soden, Washington, Soden. with Christina. Okay, Christina White. Then we went to Moscow, Lewiston. Okay, which is Kristen David. Okay, and then now we have 21-year-old Christina Nelson. Okay, and her stepsister Brandy Miller. And they're in Lewiston. Or they yes. Okay, Lewiston. Lewiston at, okay. the, at Lewis Clark State College. Got it. Okay. And Christina had worked at the Lewiston Civic Theater and Brandy participated in many of the functions there, like okay. drama and stuff like that. So it sounded like it's Lewiston Civic Theater back then was pretty, pretty popular with college kids and it was kind of a hub of activity. Okay. On September 12th, 1982, Brandy and Christina were planning on going to the store and they were uh, going to hit a laundromat. Christina had a boyfriend and she talked to him at about 8.30. Then the two left him a note and then they headed out. In 1982. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there were only so many options. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they could walk there. So the young women never returned home. And Mm -hmm. the next day, Christina's boyfriend reported them missing to law enforcement in Lewiston. Okay. Within just a few hours of the missing persons report, Another missing persons report was filed, this time for 35-year-old Stephen Persall. He was a janitor at the Lewiston Civic Theater. So they all so, were sort of connected? Yeah, they knew they knew each other. Right. So Stephen was friends with Kristen, Christina and Brandy. He was like a big brother to them. And they interview his sister in the, in the uh, 2011 documentary. And he just seems like a fun guy. Like okay. he's just... He's a theater dude. Right. Like he plays the trombone or not the trombone, the clarinet. I knew, <laughs> I knew it was a weird one. He's not quite sure what he wants to do with his life. He spent a lot of time at the theater, even when he wasn't working. And it was a, he was in the air force. Um, I imagine during Vietnam. And um, so for him, it was kind of like a place of solitude and peace. Sure. So yeah, he was friends with them. He was quite a bit older. Yeah. He was 35. But, you know, it's Lewiston, Idaho. Like, you you all know each other. Exactly. So on the 12th, Stephen had gone to a party with his girlfriend. So he had a girlfriend. It wasn't like he was hooking up with these two girls. Okay. Around midnight, his girlfriend dropped him off at the theater. And he was planning to practice his clarinet. Which I think is so fun. It's so innocent. How cool is that? Like, you're just going to stop at a theater to be by yourself and play your clarinet. Instead of like, well, I dropped my boyfriend off because he wanted to play video games exactly. with his buddies. Right. Like, like, like he literally, how pure. How he was just pure. like literally going to go and play to himself. Yes. The clarinet. I mean, I think like that's. Like Squidward. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that was around midnight too. Oh my I mean, God. So he's kind of a free spirit. Right. Like it's, I just imagine him being like kind of this, he's in, he's into drama and theater and he wants to play his clarinet and. And not think about the military. Right. And he's just kind of a, you know, he's yeah, really his way of escaping. Yeah. Like, yeah. His girlfriend actually saw him enter the theater. And so did an officer who was on patrol in the area. The initial thought of law enforcement was, of course, that Stephen had something to do with. Absolutely. With Christina and Brandy's disappearances. And then he fled. 
Like, okay. because he's a grown ass man, he's 35 years old. Right. And they're thinking like, yeah, this is the most logical explanation. Right. And you can't blame them for thinking. No, that. It, it, yeah. they're, they assume that it can't be a coincidence. Of course it can be, but it just yeah. is very strange. Well, and his sister said in the documentary, I thought this is so interesting. She, she refers to her husband. She said her husband who really liked Steven and was really, uh, they were both like super active and trying to find him. She just says like, he was so mad at the picture that they posted in the paper of Steven because he'd been growing his beard out to star in Jesus Christ Superstar at the theater. And like, he looked like a criminal. Yeah. And I can imagine like, it was just so soul crushing to have, you know, just even the implication that he would have something to do with this. Well, especially when you're like, his family is searching for him. Like, yeah. like he's not guilty and he's missing. So yeah, it was really unfortunate that they, that he it all was together. framed as a, as a suspect. And that didn't go on forever, but law enforcement thoroughly searched the theater and there was no signs of a struggle, but Steven's clarinet was still inside. So he, he obviously went inside right. and like set stuff down. Sure. One of the law enforcement officers, he said uh, one of the best tools they had at their disposal wasn't truth serum, but (laughs) it was uh, luminol. And he said, we sprayed it all around that theater. But the problem is luminol uh, will also light up lead and they used lead paint back then. So he's like, it was really a moot point to even, it was really futile to even try. Like I didn't know that about. Yeah, I didn't either. So he's like the whole thing lit up, right? right? But how can you tell what is what? Right. I mean, you can swab things, I guess. But interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was, you know, there was no evidence of a struggle. So they were just like, well, I don't know. Um. So that leads me to believe that it it didn't happen in the theater. Like whatever happened didn't happen in the theater. So detectives talked to Stevens' friends. And, the, and pretty soon the theory that he was involved didn't seem to to really hold water. He wasn't violent. Um, plus, he left his car. Like, if you're going to kidnap two girls, you're not going to go on foot. No. You're also not going to leave your clarinet. He would not leave that clarinet. He wouldn't. So, uh, and the car was parked at his friend's house. And when they searched his apartment, they found one uncashed paycheck. If he's a janitor at a theater, like, he's keeping, he's keeping he's, a close eye on the paycheck. Right. And he wouldn't just leave without cashing a paycheck. Yeah. So, it became pretty clear pretty quick that Stephen didn't leave by choice. Police did uncover another employee present at the theater the night of the 12th. Guess who it is? Who? The same man police is suspected in Christina White's... The boyfriend? ...case in Washington. Yep. Uh, His name is Lance Voss. According to his first interview with police, he arrived at the theater around 6 p.m. So Stephen arrived around 7.30 to work, and then he left around... (laughs) This sounds like a sweet job. Left around 9 p.m. Around 10 p.m., the man went to a bar across the street for a few beers... Yeah. And came back to work? Yeah. He then went to the movies and watched The Fog. After the movie was over, he returned to the theater around 11. He claimed he did some work once he got there. And uh, he said that he couldn't remember if he did much on the stage, but he needed to do some rigging. And his whole excuse was, I went up in the loft, up in the attic, and I took a fall. After he fell through the plaster, he felt like he needed to rest. So in his words... I went back downstairs and laid on the couch and stretched out. I had a medium case of the shakes. I just laid there and dozed off. Like, so he said he fell asleep. So then they couldn't hold him. Like, we can't charge you with anything. So then on March 19th, 
1984, so that's about a year and a half later. A teen in Kendrick, Idaho, he got kicked out of school that day. Oh, no. And so he got in his truck and he was looking for cans. And like, we used to look for cans. (laughs) People look for cans. You make money. I like, my parents collected cans and we would go and cash them in. Yes. Like once every six months. And then we'd go out for dinner. Like we, it would be like $60 worth of cans or something. We basically funded an entire trip to Washington, D.C. when we were in the seventh grade off of cans. There was probably more involved than that. (laughs) Cans. Cans, everyone. But we thought we made a sizable (laughs) contribution. Mrs. Maddox gave me all her cans, and that and she was an alcoholic. And that, that was no, don't say that. JK, I don't know Mrs. Might, Maddox. She was a sweet librarian. If I were also a librarian, me. I would be an alcoholic. Also potentially an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, she would have been. So he's he's out there. He got kicked out of school for God knows what. And then he's just driving down the highway in the middle looking of the day, cans. looking for cans, perfectly innocent. And he stumbled upon skeletonized remains. Um, In the documentary, he says his hat blew off and went down this embankment. And he's like, he says like, it's real supernaturally suspicious. Like it should have stopped, but it kept going. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, dude, it's gravity. Like (laughs) it fell down, which is how things typically fall. (laughs) The remains were down an embankment. The remains were badly decomposed because this is a year and a half later. And there was clothing and personal items found with them. Also nearby were cords similar to a clothesline. Okay. Um, the bodies belonged to Christina Nelson and Brandy Miller. They were stepsisters. So a family lost two daughters. Oh, geez. And that's terrible. Incomprehensible. Oh, absolutely. Then on March 22nd, three days later... Lewiston brought Lance Voss back in and the detective told him they'd found Christina and Brandy's remains. Guess what he replied with? Tell me. I guess I'm in a heap of trouble. Yeah. What? Yeah. His story changed this time. Now he said he got to the theater at 3.30 PM or so, as opposed to, I think it was 7.30. Yeah. Steven still showed up between seven and 7.30 and left around nine. But the man's trip to the bar was now at 9 p.m. instead of 10 p.m. Okay. There was no direct evidence to tie him to the case. I mean, him just saying, I guess I'm in a heap of trouble, doesn't, it's not a confession. And the lack of evidence is a lot like Christina White's case. And the case went cold. And there's no sign of Stephen. So, And this was all, this was what, early 80s? So this was like before DNA evidence and stuff yeah. was really oh, a thing. Oh, way before. And so I'm sure there those cords and all that stuff probably had some sort of evidence that today would have, could have tied into it, but at the time, they no. But they saved, they saved everything. Okay. So well, that's good. Sheriff Jackie Nichols, and I think she's the Asotan sheriff. Okay. She is a badass. Okay. She is continuing to look for evidence. And they're very hush-hush, like the FBI is involved, and they're very hush-hush. So some other suspects in this case. So uh, in 1984, Idaho State Police stated that serial killer Otis Toole Hmm. had implicated himself in the murder of David and was their strongest suspect, but added that two other men also confessed to the same crime. Jesus, I hate that. Uh, In 2009, 
a retired Lewiston police detective who had interviewed Tool stated that he had ruled him out as a suspect. Okay. Like a tool was with Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah. And Henry Lee Lucas would just like he confessed to like every crime. He made up so much stuff. <laughs> he confessed to so many crimes. And so it doesn't surprise me that his partner, Otis Tool, did the same thing. Right. I mean, how do you believe things that these people how do you believe anything that you they can't. say? Unless you, you can actually physically tie some evidence. You can't. In 1995, Lewiston police announced that Nelson Miller and Pearsall may have been murdered together inside the Lewiston Civic Theater by another theater employee. So Lance Voss. So you have to wonder if Stephen didn't just walk in on something. Right. And then became like a victim. And then became a victim. Yeah. So, so at this point, they they ruled out the the idea that Stephen was involved. At this point, they had been like, yeah, no, he's. I mean, they found the bodies. Yes and no. Everyone who knows Stephen is like, there's no way he did this. Yeah. Also, there's this serial killer that they caught during my freshman year when I was going to college, Robert Lee Yates. He was also interviewed because okay. he was in Spokane, Washington. Right. But he predominantly, if not solely, killed sex workers. Okay. So not really his victimology but really it's not very consistent yeah the victimology is all over the board besides except for the three girls right uh there's you know but you can't even count christina white in that because she's 12 yeah and then you've got you know an 18 year old a 21 year old and a 22 year old yeah that's very but i suppose like over the years like they say as people get older their interests might change unless they're like specifically pedophiles in which i mean or maybe uh, you know Maybe Kristen David, like her dad said, she was really short. Maybe, you know, the killer mistook them for a child. Right. I don't I don't know. Or like vice versa. Like maybe his victimology was older. And so the the Christina, the first yeah. Christina, the younger girl, maybe she looked older, or maybe all the she, other girls looked yeah, younger. Yeah, could poss- it's all possible. So they ruled out all those other guys. They're pretty certain that Lance Voss did this. Lance Voss knew Stephen Pearsall. They worked together at the theater. Right. So if he was trying to commit a crime with Christina and Brandy and Stephen walked in, that's the only scenario I can imagine. Yeah, I think that that's probably what But happened. one man cannot move three bodies. Three bodies. Like three people. And they also said that Lance owned a brown van. Okay. Which okay. Kristen David's Murder. So that, so that yeah. ties into that one. That ties too. into that. And he fit the description right. that the farmer gave. So he's the boyfriend of Christina's friend's mom. Yep. He's the last person to see her. And then you've got Kristen David, and the one eyewitness spots a van and a man who look like this Lance Voss and looks like his vehicle. Exactly. And then you've got this guy that's supposedly asleep at the theater after Stephen Pearsall gets there. And Brandy Miller and Christina Nelson's parents said they were definitely stopping by that theater. So it's just too much. That's too, it's too there, much. There is not such a like that. No, much but of they a can't find any evidence. They couldn't charge him with anything. The rope discovered with Brandy's and yeah. Christina's body was traced back to the theater. Okay. So possibly extra rope from this pirate ship that uh, Lance Voss had been building with Stephen Pearsall. Okay. But the police didn't have enough hard evidence to arrest him. So without Stephen's body, there would always be a hole in the case. It kind of be that lingering question. Right. Like, again, they don't have any evidence to arrest him with any, any really, it's all just like circumstantial like there. And there's exactly. no, there's, you know, there's the rope Ugh. that they could trace back to the theater, but 
Sheriff Jackie Nichols, actually, they physically go to uh, a residence that Lance Voss had stayed at at some point out in the middle of Hell's Canyon. And she did do some digging on that property, but, you know, wasn't able to come up with anything. There are some other incidents in Lance Voss's life that are a little questionable because you don't just like start doing this one day as an adult. So he was linked to three other deaths in and outside the region, including an unsolved Chicago murder from 1963 of a girl. Also, this one is crazy. So he, I think it was in the 70s, he was arrested in California for creeping around a mortuary at night with a flashlight and a knife when that day a young girl had drowned and... She was in the mortuary. Oh my God. That's horrifying. You don't rob a mortuary. No. Like you can't. That gives me the fucking heebie-jeebies. So what are you going to do in one? So that is shady shit. Like that's like so gross and creepy. So it's just creepy. And this is the only information I have on him. He's large physically. He's 6'5". Okay. And he's a show-off who loves the stage. He was very much into the drama thing. Okay. He didn't really fly under the radar. In fact, some people say like he made them very uncomfortable with intense eye contact and just very boisterous in an annoying, irritating way. Sure. But women just felt uncomfortable around him. Huh, okay. So just like your intuition, just saying like this dude, like don't be alone. A lot of the women didn't want to be alone with him. Okay. Even his own girlfriend. It's, it is interesting to note he never tried to deny to the police how close he was to the disappearances. He just refused a polygraph and... Oh. Okay. And and they couldn't, you know, they yeah, couldn't force, force him, him. To, to take it. He railed against the police, threatening to sue for harassment. I think it's really funny that he sticks to this story. Like, yeah, I was in the theater, but I was asleep. Or, yeah, I saw Christina, but she was fine when she left the house. You really think that you have the sucky luck where you're, yeah, you're intertwined in two separate murder cases that you have nothing to do with? Like, No, that's not anyone's life. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you wonder with how close he was with Christina and then with Christina Christina and Brandy. Brandy. Yeah. It makes you wonder like he was so close to them. So how many crimes could he be involved in that he was not close to? Like, what did he test out before he got brave enough to be like, I'm going to do something super close to home because like Mm -hmm. there's no evidence that Kristen David, the bicyclist knew him, but her dad did say she could have crossed paths with him because Again, the Civic Theater was kind of a hub of activity in Lewiston, and she could have easily been involved. She was interested in that, and she could have been involved in the theater. She wanted to be on TV as a reporter, so, you know, she could have easily been there. So as far as where Lance Voss is now, he's in Matthews, North Carolina, which I imagine to be a very tiny town. I don't know. I didn't look it up. And Lewiston investigators are keeping an eye on him. The research that's that's done about him online, I guess what they came up with was mostly comments on conservative chat boards. He's interested in survivalist topics. And in one message, he urges a fellow gun enthusiast to get a Ruger for his survival kit. Hmm. And then he adds this, by the way, don't neglect edged tools, weapons in your survival kit. After you've shot your dinner, preparation is much easier if you don't have to gut it with a rock. It can be done, but it's not fun. Oh, my God. Yeah, this guy is psychotic. So. Oh, God. Now, I will wrap this up by saying that 
there are some law enforcement officials and some detectives that were involved with all the cases or some of the cases who don't believe that Kristen David is connected to the others. There's some that don't believe any of them are related. Lewiston was so small back then. It's just too many coincidences. The fact that Lance Voss is connected to the first and the third incident, like that is... And his van and his appearance right. are connected to the second. Right. Yeah. These small, small towns. And it's all happening within a couple of years. It and, just seems very And fishy. that combined with the coincidence of him living where this murder in Chicago happened. Yeah. And then being arrested outside a mortuary in California. Like he's it, obviously a creep. Yeah. You know, like he's obviously, he has a history of being a fucking creep. So yeah. unsolved technically, but maybe, maybe we'll come to some sort of conclusion. I mean, like I said, there has to be some sort of DNA evidence somewhere. Yeah. They, they kept everything. Also disposal sites. Right. Like for Kristen huh. in the river and then for Brandy and Christina tied up and tossed off an embankment. Right. So it is questionable whether they're related, but I just think it's interesting that you have this guy who's connected to so many unsolved disappearances, right? Living in a small area. What's the likelihood that there's going to be more than one in that area? Doing like similar sort of victimologies. Yeah. Sort of opportunities. I think for me, I'm most convinced about the first Christina and then Christina and Brandy. Yeah. For me, it's like, there's no question the same, like Lance Voss being involved somehow yeah. in both those. That's yeah. not a coincidence. Well, and just the theater connection right. and then Rose's mom and, you know, and poor Steven. Like probably. he was the last person to see Christina. Yeah. He was one of the last people who had the opportunity to see Christina, Brandy and Steven. Like it's to it's, that's not a coincidence. He should not be breathing easily, but I'm sure he's thinks he got away with it yeah and he did i mean even if he's you know even if they charge him now he's been living outside of a jail for 40 plus years yeah 40 plus years and it's like you can't be adequately punished at this point no i mean the guy's got to be in his 70s and he's making comments online about survivalists which is also interesting because i mean he he made the comment about like hunting and getting yeah lots of people hunt but the fact that the second victim was like dismembered, dismembered like yeah. that takes a certain skill. And we set have no idea what happened to Christina right. or Steven. See, that's what gets me is Steven, Steven Pearsall, because he was not down that embankment with the two girls. What did he do to Steven? Yeah. Lewis Clark Valley is beautiful, but it is a vast area, unpopulated area. Yeah. The Pacific Northwest and the Northwest are ideal for serial killers. I feel like with genetic genealogy too. Right. I mean, what an impact that has had. In just the past couple of years. Yes. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I, I hope they can nail him through that. Every time I see someone get apprehended through gen- gen- genealogy, I'm like, dude, you can't get away with it forever. No. You can't. No. And it's like, it's not even you. Like, you can you can avoid doing, you know, the, like, ancestry or the yeah. 23 and me Yeah, but if anyone, if, in, if anyone in your family does it, like, Someone anyone, you don't even know. Right. Like, a relative you don't even know. Right. Like, so, a cousin or someone that you're just, like, com- yeah. It can so if you're listening and yeah. you're a criminal, your ass is grass. It's only you're a matter of time. You're gonna get caught. You're gonna get, <laughs> you're gonna get caught. Anyway, I just thought that that was that is so fascinating. I'm I'm so sad that those having a child of my own, the idea yeah. of of a missing child, it kills me. I really related to her because she was a horse girl yeah. and like a small town girl, and she was just riding her bike and yeah. and 
you know, I know what it's like to, to be that kid. Yeah. that's like, I think I had heat stroke. And like, <laughs> um, like I faint. I know. And her mom, like her mom just reminds me a lot of my mom. And it, it just, I really related to her, like being an artist and loving horses and like being involved with the County fair. And yeah. like, it just, yeah, I was just like that at yeah. 12. So, you know, could have been me. Yeah. Right. It really, I mean, it really could have. It really could have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, that was again, never heard of it, but now I'm going to go watch those documentaries. Yeah. I want. Yes. So, uh, cold Valley on investigation discovery. So ID and then 2011 obviously won't have the most up-to-date information, but it actually talks to the victim's families. Um, and that documentary is called confluence. It's on Amazon. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. As always, please feel free to follow us on Instagram at premeditated podcast or shoot us an email. If you want to throw any suggestions our way or have any fantastic comments. Those are the comments we like. Don't, don't send me any hate mail. Cause I know I really can't. Take I that. hate myself enough for all of us. <laughs> like I don't need you to tell me how much you hate me. I hate myself. Okay. Yeah. Like I literally start the day with like the opposite of an affirmation, a D affirmation. <laughs> you suck. And your then knees are terrible. Your knees are terrible. You're God, you can't even get out of bed. <laughs> So uh, send us good stuff. And you can send yeah. us an email at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. Listen to us, obviously, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're now available pretty much everywhere, yeah. which is pretty exciting. But thank you guys so much for listening. And tell, tell your, your folks, folks we says hi. hi.